Mama says that alligators are ornery because they got all them teeth but no toothbrush. Again, things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday. My eyes are getting weary. My back is getting tight. I'm sitting here in traffic on the Queensboro Bridge tonight, but I don't care because all I want to do is cash my check and drive right home to you. Because, baby, all my life I will be driving home to you. Hello, and welcome to <laughs> Little Marty, the only podcast dedicated to the TV show King of Queens, starring Kevin James. <laughs> My name is Eric Halloween. And my name is Jeremy the Butcher. Okay, that was a joke. I just want to get that out there right away because I, I just immediately realized that someone might turn this off thinking <laughs> that this is a King of Queens podcast. No, better. It's a podcast about Scorsese and Adam Sandler. Yeah, and if that doesn't sound good to you, then you should turn this off because that yeah. is... Uh, our that obsession. Is this, is. this is what this is. Yeah, and if it doesn't sound good to you, I don't know what kind of person you are because I don't. I don't want to know you. You know, Jeremy. How impressed are you that I uh, was able to recite the lyrics to the King of Queens theme song in its entirety, straight off the top of the old dome? I am very impressed by that. I love that. It's funny. I I I did not expect a King of Queens reference. I expected. Mm a original kings of comedy <laughs> reference so something about uh wow this is my favorite bernie mac appearance or something mm. you know um which by the way original kings of comedy which is not what this episode is about is a spike lee joint did you know that no yeah he directed that movie about the four comedians interesting yeah i'm you not know, gonna watch it but you know yeah sounds interesting yeah this is a good fact to have in my brain <laughs> bring that up sometime yeah. uh before we get too into it jeremy rest in peace because this is a scorsese episode rest in peace mm. to the great rolling stones drummer charlie watts yes that was terrible to sad stuff sa- very sad you know eric i don't know if i told you this but i recently rewatched uh give me shelter for like the hundredth time mm. and uh he's a big part of that movie like there's there's a lots of close-ups of his face watching the concert and sort of interacting with the the filmmakers in that film. Uh, I would say he's featured in it even maybe more than Keith Richards or or uh, mm. or uh, maybe not more than Mick Jagger. But anyways, yeah. So I was I feel like I was intimately aware of the drummer. Um, yeah. And uh, now he's gone. It's a bummer. You know, I went to high school with Kimmy Shelter. Uh, <laughs> I am going to see, it is very sad. I am going to see, uh, the stone. So my, my buddy and I we were big stones fans when we were kids still are, uh, before this whole pandemic happened, we had tickets to see the stones in Minneapolis Ooh. got postponed for like a year. Now who knows if the concert will still happen, assuming it will. Cause they announced that Charlie Watts wasn't good. I think he had like cancers or something going on where oh, he heads back out of the tour it's a huge um but yeah so r.i.p to that guy 
one of the greats, Lovin' Cup. One of the great, some of the greatest drum fills you'll ever hear in your life is a song called Lovin' Cup off Exile on Main Street. Jeremy, I want to talk about the Patreon, but before we do this, um, I just want to ask you, are you ready to make more money than any Patreon has ever made in history? Mm-hmm. You are? Am I? Yeah. Am I making person like privately? No, are you ready? Are you ready to make more money? Oh than yes, any other yes, Patreon? yes. Sorry, you cut out okay. there for a second. Yeah, absolutely I am. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cause we've got a month coming up here. And I don't remember if I said this on the if I proposed this idea on a Patreon episode. If so, uh if I have not mentioned it on the main show, here it is. I proposed an idea. You know, last November. Uh, your your uh, uh, very smart and wonderful girlfriend Jackie mm-hmm. suggested that we do uh, an episode called uh, or a, a, a series called No Shave November, right? Right. Where we did episodes on um, movies where people can't shave. <laughs> <laughs> so I tried my hardest to come up with something just as brilliant for this November. And uh, as with all great ideas, it started with terrible wordplay. And my idea was Monkey Bone Vember. <laughs> and the idea is that we watch Monkey Bone once a week and do an episode on it. <laughs> The entire month of November, I sort of said this as a joke and right. told people to tweet about it with hashtag MonkeyBoneVember. And uh, well, there are at least two fans that have tweeted multiple times about it. Um, so I think it's kind of getting close to becoming a reality, Jeremy. And uh, I'm prepared. I'm just, I, I, I'm just telling you now, in case you're if, in case you want to back out, I'll find a. <laughs> No, I mean, you think I'm going to back out like a coward? Are you kidding? Absolutely not. <laughs> All right. So uh, anyway, that's patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. We do do other stuff other than the movie Monkey Bone. Uh, there's tons of supplemental material. Movie requests. Uh, we did a bunch of episodes of Tales from the Crypt. All sorts of weird stuff. Mm. You really get your money's worth. Anyway, Jeremy, King... Of comedy, I think this is a Scorsese movie that you uh, you definitely were aware of, and I was not. Oh, I mean, I, yeah. I had always known that this movie exists. It's way different than I was expecting in a right. really good way. Yeah, but uh, tell me your sort of background with this movie, man. Thank you for asking. This is one of those weird personal films for me where. A buddy of mine happened to like really love it growing up and he showed it to me at a kind of a critical age for me, like getting into film. I think I was about like maybe 20 or something when he showed it to me and I had never heard of this movie. And when you're watching it, I think maybe you, I'm interested to know your experience, but I, when you're watching it, it's almost like feels like you can't believe this movie exists a little bit. It's like De Niro and Jerry Lewis like in scenes together that are as uncomfortable and cringy and and funny, like genuinely funny. Um yeah, so fair warning, I'm going to rank this movie pretty high 
because mm-hmm. I think this movie holds up really well. And I also, um, yeah, and so I, I, I guess as a, as, you know, when I was young, I, it, I, this movie came into my radar, and I kind of watched it every year or so, or every couple years, and ha- like have really just never fallen out of love with this film, and think it's, think it's really great. And I also like, I think if like, you know, people we talk about like underrated movies all the time. This has got to be one of the most underrated movies of all time. Like, even if you don't like mm-hmm. love the movie. You got to admit, like no one is talking about the King of Comedy, like no one. In fact, the film cost nineteen million dollars and it grossed two point five million dollars. I mean, like it is—it was a flop. Nobody watched it. Um, but yeah, if you do give it a chance, it's like it's like the predecessor for films like Meet the Parents. I think in a lot of ways, like just like the cringiest, most awkward situational comedy ever. Um, as well as just straight up uncomfortable, cringy moments of true terror, you know? Um, and, uh, I will keep the, the Joker talk light on this episode since we did kind of talk about the movie Joker a lot during our taxi driver episode. But Eric, I think you'll agree that, Joker borrows a lot, not just from Taxi Driver, but also a lot from King of Comedy. Yeah, I didn't think about that while I was watching this, but now that you mentioned it, for sure. Like the whole talk show aspect of Joker is stolen right. I mean, it's it's stolen right from King of Comedy. The idea of like going on a talk show and sort of making history and sort of uh, committing a crime to do it. And, and they even use De Niro as the talk show host instead of Jerry Lou. I mean, it's like, it's very mm. intentional, you know? Um, yeah. But uh, anyways, what, what, I mean, yeah. Like, I guess you just had no idea this movie existed, huh? I mean, I just, you know, you just see the cover of King of comedy and I'm like, <laughs> Oh, is this like a, like just going to be, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be good. Like well done. Cause it's Scorsese during this you know period of his career but i'm just like man is this just gonna be some sort of like i don't know straightforward like comedian story like about a comedian on the road or something yeah and i also was kind of i don't know if the listeners could tell i was kind of getting a little burnt out on de niro yeah uh, as we go through these and i wasn't necessarily stoked to be getting into another De Niro one. <laughs> Not that I like, I, I just, I, I, I felt like I needed a break. Is I, what, know. Is what I, I, needed I felt the same way. I, how did you feel though? Once you got into this movie, this is, uh, probably my favorite De Niro performance. This movie <laughs> is my favorite, uh, Scorsese going into this podcast is after hours Mm -hmm. my second favorite having seen a lot of scorsese movies but not all of them Mm -hmm. king of comedy i really like this man this movie is so good yeah this movie (laughs) honestly sandra bernhardt is like maybe my favorite part of the entire movie she's (laughs) so good yeah and yeah. I can see like little um, because I love After Hours so much, and I've seen it so many times. And this movie is, I think, directly before After Hours, right? Yep. I think After Hours comes out next. Yeah, I can see like little sort of 
uh, ideas that he took with him to After Hours. That um, you know, at the end in that in that room that's all lit, in uh, Sandra Bernhard's character's like house or whatever. Mm-hmm. When they have the guy, when they have Jerry Lewis all tied up and it's oh. all lit by candlelight, reminds me so much of uh, one of the scenes in or one of the uh, settings in in After Hours. And there's just a lot of little things where I'm like, yeah, this is this is great. I hope we get more. I this is what I was hoping to discover going through all the Scorseses is because you think of Scorsese, you're like, oh, you know, mafia movies or like drug, uh, you know, violence and 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 uh, the mob and stuff like and crime and stuff. But I actually like these kinds of movies the best uh, of his so far. Um, so yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, man, I think, I think you have a really good point in that, like, I don't know if I love this type of movie more than his, like, epics, you know, like his Raging Bulls or his Goodfellas, but I definitely find them more interesting right now because I think that I haven't watched them enough. King of Comedy, I've watched a ton, but, like, I can't wait to revisit After Hours, and I can't really wait to you know, uh, watch some of his like lesser known films because I think I'm finding more enjoyment out of them than the ones I've seen a, a ton. Um, with save for this one, because this one's just so like, I mean, you, I would describe it even though it deals with fame in a really poignant way. And it deals with like violence and they like kidnap Jerry Lewis in this movie. And it's like, you know, dicey. <laughs> yeah. It still feels like a light movie. Like there's, it's like light enough, and um, I just love everything from like you, like you said, De Niro's performance to the presentation of the film, and like what it's saying. I just kind of agree with all of it. You know what I mean? Like I think it all works, and it all works really well together. And um, yeah, again, like I, it, it's weird to me that this movie doesn't doesn't have a better uh, reputation. Because it's so, like you said, it's so good. And it's so, I, I think maybe one of the reasons is because he goes on to make films like Goodfellas. And he made a film like Raging Bull. So, you know, we're used to thinking of Scorsese in this one way. That he's like this epic mafia, crime, yeah. hard-edged, dramatic director. But Dude, it's like so suspenseful, but it's also like... Th- some of the funniest moments in a movie I've seen in a long time, like the <laughs> like the cue card, the cue card scene has like is just like joke after joke. It's so yeah. funny. Oh, it's so great, man! And just like I know this this kind of joke has been done to death now, but the whole like um, squir- uh, uh, De Niro being um, in his basement and doing his monologue, and his mom chiming in and being like, "Mom, I'm busy. Like, stop. Leave me alone." Like. It's so um it's so good and yeah I'm glad you liked it cuz it's it's definitely one of my favorites and it's also one of those movies I kind of point to when I'm like you know trying to show people movies like cuz you know everyone's seen a lot of the classics but these are the films that I feel like yes. people don't We've really... all seen Norbit. Yeah, we've all seen Norbit. We've all seen um uh we've we've all seen Secret uh, window. <laughs> yeah, secret window. <laughs> yeah, we've all Classic. seen. Um, we've all seen the, the classics, but this is a film yeah, yeah. that a lot of people haven't uh, haven't seen before, and so it's 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 a joy for me to 
be able to share this movie with other people. So I'm glad you liked it. Um, also, it's like got Jerry Lewis in it, which is like another weird part of this whole thing. Like, like he's also like pretty good playing like a bad person. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 good stuff. So, um, yeah. So after, uh, let's see. So here's what I want to get into, because this is uh, one thing that I do like about doing these De Niro movies is hearing about his just insane um, preparation that he does. Apparently, De Niro uh, uh, did a role reversal technique for this, uh, where he uh, chased down his own autograph hunters, stalking them and asking them many questions. As Scorsese remembered, he even agreed to meet and talk with one of his longtime stalkers. And this is a quote from uh, Scorsese. The guy was waiting for him with his wife, a shy suburban woman who was rather embarrassed by the situation. He wanted to take him to dinner at their house, a two-hour drive from New York. After he had persuaded him to stay in Manhattan, De Niro asked him, why are you stalking me? What do you want? He replied, to have dinner with you, have a drink. My mom asked me to say hi. So uh, he also spent, you know, months studying stand-up comedians. Um... I guess I just really wanted to hit on like the, the, wow. the idea that De Niro went and just like interviewed his own stalkers in order to, uh, you know, get prepared for this. That is like, and I don't know, I don't know how you feel, Eric, but like, I feel like that's one of the aspects of the film that they touch on so beautifully and in such a light way, you almost don't realize that they're doing it. But this film is about a real horrible thing that goes on in our society, which is like stalking. <laughs> like, this is a movie about yes. stalking that completely in, in like talks about it in a way that I feel like is digestible where you're like, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't make you feel bad for the stalkers necessarily. You know what I mean? Like, but it also does, it doesn't excuse their behavior, but it like, it showcases something about our culture that's really important. Like people do this shit and it's terrible, but also like our, our country's like kind of obsessed with it. Like it's such a weird, there's such a weird dichotomy that happens. Um, and I don't know, like, like I feel like a lesser director would make a movie about a stalker and it would be like so serious and so dramatic, you know? Um, but I don't know. I, I, I think this is like a perfect kind of satire of not just fame, but how people react to fame. And yeah, so that's, that, that is definitely interesting. I mean, I, I would not put anything really past De Niro. <laughs> so hanging out with his stalkers for a role seems right up his alley. I'm surprised he actually had that many stalkers, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. I would be afraid to stalk De Niro. After Taxi Driver? Yeah. Uh, the film was written by uh, Paul D. Zimmerman. Uh, it was inspired by a guy, a, a show on autograph hunters on Esquire. Um, Scorsese became aware of the script, and it was brought to him by De Niro in 74, but he declined, uh, citing he felt no personal connection with it. Um, blah, 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 blah. Prompted by the alienation he felt from his growing celebrity status and De Niro's insistence that the film could be made real fast and that it would be a New York movie. Scorsese, <laughs> Scorsese's interest in the project was rekindled. I love wow. that that's one of the ways to win him over is like, it'll be a New York movie. 
Yeah. I, yeah. I also love this idea that now twice in a row, two movies in a row, De Niro's had to convince Scorsese to direct it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Same, and then Meet the Parents, he did the same thing, convinced Scorsese to direct it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm trying to get like, it hasn't happened yet, but I'm trying to get us like a, a couple of one-star iTunes reviews from people getting mad, like real film Scorsese heads getting mad at me for saying joke facts about <laughs> how he directed Meet the Parents. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. Get, don't give us one star reviews on iTunes. Um. Yeah. There's a there's a there's a piece of trivia I kind of wanted to bring up. It's a little like strange, like not you know very what? cool. Let's hear it. So De Niro used anti-Semitic remarks to anger Jerry Lewis while filming the scene where Rupert, uh, Rupert Pumpkin uh, crashes Jerry Langford's uh, country home. Lewis, who had never worked with method actors, was shocked and appalled, but delivered an extremely credible performance. Um, hmm. And then I want to co- accompany that with another piece of trivia. Scorsese later said that making uh, this film was an unsettling experience in part because of the embarrassing, bitter material of the script. Scorsese said that he and De Niro may not have worked together again for seven years because the king of comedy was so emotionally grueling. I feel like... Like there's something kind of broken about these two dudes, especially in this era. Like they both seem like they're not doing very well. Like both De Niro and Scorsese are kind of like, like, like there's other trivia that would suggest Scorsese has a lot of health problems during this time. Um, mm-hmm. De Niro's clearly not like, even though he's being a method actor, he's also kind of like probably not being a very good person or a cool guy. Like, I don't know if Jerry Lewis was okay with what was going on, but, and by, by all means, Jerry Lewis is not a good person. Like, tr- uh, truly like does not, is, does not like women. It's not very nice to women, um, or about women. I think it's famously said, like, he doesn't think women are funny. Um, but uh, you know, this, this film is sort of a miracle in a lot of ways that it came out the way that it did, because it sounds like the behind the scenes were pretty tough to deal with. Mm. Uh, And yeah, again, like the eighties, I do not feel like the most healthy time for Scorsese (laughs) or De Niro and, or anyone really. or anyone. Yeah. And then also like, if you watch the film or read the book, easy tiger, uh, I'm sorry, easy writer uh, to raging bulls, um, when they talk about King of Comedy, they frame it up a little differently. Um, they talk about how the uh, blockbuster uh, started to come into the mix. Like they they came into the fray. Like not it didn't just start with you know it started kind of with Jaws, but then Star Wars had already happened, and by eighty two, I believe uh, Indiana Jones opened the same weekend as King of Comedy. And they they mark this film as one of the films that like truly ended the auteur American Western 70s cinematic experience where mm. movies about people started getting shut out for movies about, you know, for big blockbuster action films. Um, and it wasn't just Indiana Jones. I think it was like a couple other like big movies opened the same weekend. It might've even been Empire Strikes Back, something like that. But, um, but yeah, so it's kind of a shame because, uh, 
because yeah, like you know, this this was kind of a a film that kind of ate a lot of a lot of uh, gruel at you know because you know people just weren't watching films by directors anymore. That wasn't what was you know that wasn't what was hot at the time. And it, as you see, like the eighties is kind of a you know, it's kind of a tough decade for film. And it wasn't wouldn't be till mm. the 90s that we would get back to kind of independent cinema and people caring about directors again. Yes. Yes. Um, <sighs> much of... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> much of the scene where Rupert uh, shows up at Jerry's house was improvised. Kim Chan... Uh, improvised his lines when Jono uh, Jono calls Jerry, uh, blah 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 blah. Um, not that interesting of a trivia. Okay, here's one. <laughs> Scorsese has said that he thought De Niro's best performance mm-hmm. under his direction was in this film. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I don't uh, hate that take. I don't. I don't like. I can see it. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to argue with Raging Bull. That might be my actual favorite and i think it might be the best but this is like it's stretching de niro in a way that you don't see a lot would you agree with that yes it was uh cool to see actually i was it gave me a new uh, appreciation for de niro i yeah. think um in the scene where de niro and uh sandra bernhard argue in the street three of the street scum that mock bernhard are mick jones joe strummer and Paul Sim- Simonin. I thought mm. it said Paul Simon at first. Paul Simon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, members of the British pu- uh, pu- punk rock band The Clash. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yes. Love that. Um, hmm. While uh, being profiled for the E! True Hollywood story, Jerry Lewis was surprised that critics' praise of his performance. Lewis disregarded the praise and said that he was just playing himself. Uh, yeah, an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's not um, like it's 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 an interesting performance because I love a movie like this that is that has this kind of complication of like a kidnapping story where you don't really like the person being kidnapped either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Is there any other trivia you want to hit on? There's no. actually a lot of trivia. There's a lot this, of good trivia, but you know, honestly, like I'm interested. Let's get into the plot. I think it's, I think it's about time. Uh, Doug Heffernan lives with his wife, <laughs> Carrie, in... <laughs> uh, let's see here. Rupert Pupkin is a delusional and aspiring stand-up comedian trying to launch his career. After meeting Jerry Langford, a successful comedian and talk show host, Rupert believes his big break has finally come. Uh, he attempts to book a spot on Langford's show, but is continually rebuffed by his staff, particularly <laughs> Kathy Long, and finally by Langford himself. Along the way, Rupert indulges in elaborate and obsessive fantasies in which he and Langford are colleagues 
and Friends. The uh, the fantasies, I like them in retrospect, but seeing this movie for the first time, it was kind of confusing to me. I was like, wait, what is real? And I wonder if that's intentional, but I was like, wait, did that really happen? Or did that sort of happen? And we're just seeing right. it how Rupert Pupkin imagined it? Yeah. Or what's the deal? Like, I wasn't even sure if when he went to the to the studio... <laughs> uh, I wasn't even <laughs> sure if that initial meeting with Jerry Langford ever happened, you know? Oh yeah. Um, no. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, it's one, maybe I'm just biased cause I like the film so much, but it's one of those weird, is this reality? Is this fantasy movies that by the way, I typically hate. Um, I think it really works in this case because it's, yeah, it, 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 makes you kind of disassociate from reality as well. Like there are clear fantasy moments, but then there are like other moments, like you said, where it's like, did that happen or did that not happen? Um, my favorite one is this very, uh, I think specific fantasy he has of being better than Jerry Lewis and Jerry Lewis begging mm. him. I'm sorry, Jerry Langford yeah. begging him to like do a spot on his show. Yeah. And it's kind of like as somebody who like would love to have a career in the arts, like I, it felt very familiar to have like a fantasy yeah. where you're like somebody you really love and respect is reaching out to you because they love and respect you. You know what I mean? Like, um, and I, I, I don't know. That was a nice touch. I think is that mm-hmm. like he actually fantasized about being kind of big timing Langford in a way. Um, uh, it's a very funny, uh, very funny scene. I could wring your neck. I could just wring your neck. <laughs> like this, there's like this cut of, there's like this shot of Jerry Lewis just like choking De Niro <laughs> out. <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess it's worth mentioning that like the, uh, you know, a lot of people, probably everyone that listens to this podcast knows this, but, um, you know, back in the day, I guess in the co- in the stand-up comedy world, there was pretty much like, you get on the Tonight Show, right? And do your set on the Tonight Show. Right. You're like launched to to stardom. Yeah, you get a sitcom was the big thing. Like um, people in the '80s started getting sitcoms based on their stand-up performances in the '80s, and uh, that w- that would go on through the '90s and kind of died yes. in the, the 2000s, I, I guess, huh? Like I, I mean, yes. was is I mean, we joke about King of Queens, but was Kevin James? Kind of one of the last big <laughs> yeah. stand-up comedians that got his own show that like lasted for years and years and years. Maybe. Like what? What? Know. What's the? What's another one that you can think of that was more modern? That's like a sitcom, uh, you know, like not, you know what I mean, like or. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a uh, yeah. It was definitely a thing. It was a huge thing. It was the pipeline, you know. And a lot of people felt like that was attainable if you just worked hard enough. Eventually, you would get your shot. Yes. Whereas now you do, you know, a set on uh, the Seth Meyers show. Yeah. And you get uh, I don't get know, your ass like two hundred fifty bucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you get your ass kicked. <laughs> Uh, hoping to impress uh, Rupert invites a date Rita to accompany him when he shows up uninvited at Langford's country home oh yeah this This is is, uh, this is grueling I mean it is the most uncomfortable 
I I mean, I, I this is one of the most cringy moments ever committed to cinema ever. By the way, Rita, the the girl who plays Rita is De Niro's like longtime on and off again partner. Like they ah. dated for a long time. She's in New York, New York, and I think she's in Taxi Driver as well. Mm. Yeah, um, she's really great. I like her a lot. The yeah, it's so. De Niro's performance is 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 so uncomfortable because he's like his Rupert Pupkin just like doesn't even like it is just like uh uh he's just such a like the comedian guy and he's so hmm. uh just determined i guess like he just does not take no for an answer in any way and he's so delusional yeah that he's just like unstoppable and it's and it's like really uncomfortable to watch because you're like yeah this guy's gonna i mean just the way he's like walking around this house oh (laughs) dude and the maid is going nuts like trying to figure out what is going on and when he finally and jerry uh langford finally shows up rupert's like jerry it's me come on you know it's me Come on, don't be like that. You know what I mean? He's like, he's yeah. like, he's so delusional. It's almost like he believes the weird scenario, the false scenario he set up. Yeah. Ugh. It this it, and you can tell Rita the whole time is like, come on, let's just go, let's just go, please, let's leave. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. She's like, she's a regular human being. He is completely, uh, you know. Ugh. Yeah, this scene is it's one for the books. It's one of the it's it's a great scene though, I think. It's one of yes. my favorites he's like, he's like, "Yeah, we helped ourselves to some drinks." And yeah, stuff. they're drinking, yeah. they're dancing, they're listening to music. Oh, it's it's so it's a nightmare. Uh when Langford returns home to find Rupert and Rita settling in, he angrily tells them to leave. <laughs> Uh, Rupert continues brushing off Jerry's dismissals and Rita's urging until Jerry finally retorts that he had only told Rupert he could call him so Jerry would get rid of him. Bitterly vowing to work 50 times harder, Rupert finally leaves. Um, so this is... Uh, I don't want to skip over like the interactions that Rupert has with the uh, sort of like... I guess, is it... Um, Masha? Langford's assistant. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that, those are pretty huge too really uncomfortable like yeah. the the moment where she is like trying to politely say like well some of the one-liners like didn't work mm-hmm. or whatever and and, 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 and pumpkin's it. just like so you, you so you're saying you're what you're telling me is you don't like my jokes yeah basically yeah he puts everyone okay so here's here's one t- potential reading of this is because he's such a delusional guy he puts everyone in a position where they have to be brutally honest with him which is very uncomfortable for an industry that's full of fake people if that makes sense so it's it's kind of like he's caught by being this way he's also calling out a huge problem with the entertainment industry is that everyone is like very dishonest and very mm. uh, fake. So it's like, yeah, the problem here is that Rupert's not 
he doesn't work for the show. He's not funny enough. Whatever the problem is, they're not telling him. Um, and so, he, but but he is the kind of sociopathic weirdo who is like going to make them tell him. And I've I know people like this, <laughs> and a lot you know a lot of people in entertainment are like this, and a lot of people in entertainment are like Langford's assistant, <laughs> like would <laughs> yeah. rather just just say hey you know what maybe we'll give you a call we'll give you a call, you see in regular people would just kind of go okay that means no. <laughs> Right, because we're just so used to the lying. Yeah, yeah, we'd all we all do this dance, though, you know. Yes, and uh, yeah, so that part of it is really interesting to me. Is this guy who doesn't get any of that? He doesn't get he doesn't get niceties or or pleasantries. He just will. He needs you to tell him you don't like him. Um. Yeah, pretty 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 great stuff. We also should mention. Sandra uh, Bernard's or Bernhard's character, Sandra Bernhard's character, because you you like her a lot. Uh, I like her a lot too. We meet her pretty early on, right when he's leaving the Lewis's or Langford's uh, studio for the first time, and she's talking to him about Jerry, and they're having this big argument about Jerry, how Jerry and him are actual friends, and and she's just a stalker, which I think is very <laughs> yeah. interesting. How like yeah, yeah. He, like. They have this like we they're both sick people. Um but at the same time, um, you know, they're both also like arguing with each other about who's sicker, who's more of a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. It's a really great relationship. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. One of my favorites. Yeah. Uh by the way, Jeremy, I you know, I listened to your um I listened to your audio on the uh, the Big Daddy episode. Mm. Some of the uh, one liners didn't really <laughs> didn't really work for me. Hey man, I'm humble at this point enough. I could I could believe it. I believe it. I'll work on those one liners for next time. I promise you, the next time that you hear a one liner from me, it'll be so good. <laughs> exhausted with rejection, Rupert Hatch. Oh man, boy, do I know that feeling. <laughs> uh, exhausted with rejection, Rupert hatches a kidnapping plot with the help of Masha, a fellow stalker similarly obsessed with Langford. As ransom, Rupert demands that he be given the opening spot on the evening's episode of Langford's show, guest hosted by Tony Randall, mm-hmm. and that the show be broadcast in normal fashion. So, like, wh- as soon as. When is the gun? Whenever the gun is introduced, I was like, oh boy, <laughs> here <Dude>. we go. <laughs> There's like a certain point where we go from De Niro just being like kind of crazy to like, okay, now he has a gun. Yes. and Or a fake gun. It's a great turning point too. And also like the way they kidnap him is so clumsy and stupid. Yeah. And there's this whole extended bit about how he has gum in his pocket and then <laughs> De Niro kind of wants the gum. He's like, is this your gum, Jerry? Is this your gum? Can I have a piece? <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's asking the his kidnapping victim if he can have a piece of his gum. It's so crazy and so funny. He drops the gun, of course. I mean, like that's to be expected. You know, it's just, it's so nuts. And I, I love it. Did you have any, like, what, what was the experience like for you watching this kidnapping sequence? I thought it was really funny. I just thought it was hilarious. 
Um, it's it's weird. This yeah. movie is like a weird blend of like really good humor and like actual suspense. Yeah. Like I was super invested in what was going to happen. Mainly from a uh, like, like uh, almost like, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know why. It's interesting that you point out that like we, de- like I definitely didn't really care about Langford's character, you know, mm-hmm. he's not like a super redeemable or lovable character. I think it was just the situation itself. It's like, you know, you see something, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it, it, it's just like a weird situation that kind of locked me in, but yeah, very yeah. funny, very yeah. funny moment. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, the network's bosses, lawyers, and the FBI agree to his demands with the understanding that Langford will be uh, released once the show airs. Uh, between the taping of the show and the broadcast, Masha has her dream date with Langford, who is taped to a chair in her parents' Manhattan townhouse. <laughs> Masha is psychotic. <laughs> Dude, this part's so crazy. It's so good. Yeah. Man, she plays an insane person very well. And I love his expressions on his face watching her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Man. Uh, And the way he, like, she just, like, runs after him after he, like, punches her. (laughs) Yeah. Langford convinces her to untie him uh, under the disguise of seduction to which he seizes the gun only to find a toy gun loaded with faulty pellets. He slaps Masha and flees downtown where he angrily sees Rupert's full stand-up routine on a series of television display sets. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, Rupert's act is well-received by the studio audience. In fact, he described his troubled upbringing while simultaneously laughing at his circumstances. Yeah, uh, in Rupert, his in, yeah, it doesn't even part of his stand up. He's like, doesn't he even joke about kidnapping? He uh, does, yeah. yeah. Like the whole, and they just keep laughing. He's and like, yeah, laughing. I tied up uh, Jerry Langford. And, and by the way, so like you know, I mean, Eric, you're a person who's done stand up comedy a bunch in your life, and I am too. And um, it, it, I don't know if you feel similarly, but it's always kind of bothered me watching stand up on film or TV. Like yeah. it's never like in a fiction, like not like 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 watching like stand up comedy, but like watching like a fictionalized someone wrote this for the show stand up comedy. It mm-hmm. always really bothers me because it's like it's not funny ever, um, and this isn't like super funny either. But I like this one maybe the best of any of the, those I've seen because it's like it. It's it. I could see an audience, especially in '82, like laughing at these jokes. I can also kind of like, it's personal. Like good stand-up usually is. Like just it's him talking about himself as a person. Like he gets into the stuff about his dad and stuff, and it's like, it's really good. It's like it's like, this would be a really good stand-up performance. Like one of the tricks I think the movie does is they make Rupert look like such a psychopath, but then when he actually gets on stage, you realize. You know, if they gave him a shot, he would actually do well <laughs> on this show. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's almost like saying Rupert, in a way, was right all along. Like, he he was right to work as hard as he did to get on that show. Because he actually had the goods, you know? And he and and one of the things I like about his performance is they're not one-liners. They're not just, like, situa- or um, observational comedy. It's a very personal 
Yeah, he talks about like yeah. his mom's alcoholism yeah. and stuff. Yes, and it's like deeply personal to him, and that's what makes really good stand-up comedy. That's this kind of stand-up comedy like a lot of people really respect. So it's I don't know. I mean, it's a really astute observation. There's something about that I, I really enjoy. Um, again, it's not like if you were to watch a real stand-up comedian, you know, like yeah. But it's 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 okay it serves a really good purpose like in a way that like you know we could if you know if you want to talk about the joker a little bit like i find that to be an actually very unsatisfying conclusion to his story is that he just shoots the talk show host you know this to me is a little bit way it's like way more satisfying (laughs) my favorite uh bit that he does in the stand-up is he this is a quote he says me, I wasn't especially interested in athletics. The only exercise I ever got was when the other kids picked on me. Yeah, they used to beat me up once a week, usually Tuesday. <laughs> and after a while, the school worked it into the curriculum. Yeah. And if you knocked me out, you got extra credit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's good. It's, it's, yeah, it's like, it's it's like cute, yeah. you know? Old-timey. Old-timey, kind of cute, yeah. Um... Where were we? Um, Langford convinces. Uh, uh, meanwhile, nope. Me- meanwhile, meanstwhile, <laughs> Rupert's act is well received by the studio audience. In his act, he describes his troubled upbringing while Sami simultaneously laughing at his circumstances. Rupert then closes his act by confessing to the audience that he kidnapped Langford in order to break into show business. The audience still laughs, thinking it's part of his act. Rupert responds by saying, "Tomorrow." You'll know I wasn't kidding, and you'll all think I'm crazy. But I figure it this way. Better to be king for a night than a schmuck for a lifetime. (laughs) Having shown the the broadcast to Rita at her bar, he proudly submits to his arrest as the FBI agents profess distaste for his jokes. (laughs) I love this. So good. There's also a bit of wish fulfillment in here that you almost wish you could do this. I don't know. Like, not kidnap someone and hijack their television show but like i don't know like show the world you're not crazy or even if you are crazy you're funny you know what i mean yeah yeah um i wish i kind of wish that more this would be this is actually a good movie for like people who do comedy to to watch i think it does give you like an interesting i've always thought so too i don't know perspective but anyway, the film ends with a news report of Rupert's crime, his six-year prison sentence, and <laughs> parole after two years set to a montage of storefronts stocking his long-awaited autobiography, King for a Night, mm. uh, which states that Rupert still consists, considers Langford his friend and mentor and that he is currently weighing several attractive offers, including comedy tours and a film adaptation of his memoirs, Rupert later takes the stage for a television special with a live audience where an announcer enthusiastically introduces him as the king of comedy while Rupert himself prepares to address his audience. Uh, The announcer repeats, ladies and gentlemen, Rupert Pupkin, Mm. or a variation of this, seven times. Boom. Bada boom. Dunzo. Well... Uh, what do you think about King of Comedy there, Big Daddy? 
This is, movie was a very delightful surprise. To be honest with you, I was so delighted by it. I was not even looking f- to, you know, for anything to nitpick or or I was just locked in. I was yeah. locked into this movie. Didn't care about anything else. Just totally engrossed in the story. Thought it was very, uh, very good. I did, you know, I didn't even think a whole lot about the commentary on show business that much. Mm. But now that we're we, you've given me your thoughts, I, I, I like that aspect of it. Um, I like that I, I really like De Niro in this. I, I Sandra Bernhard is this is like my favorite. Like mm-hmm. this is up there with like uh, Catherine O'Hara in. After Hours for me. Oh, dude. Um, yes. I mean, this is like her performance is one of my favorite in uh, uh, Bernhard's performance is one of my favorite in any Scorsese movie. I think so. Um, same with Catherine O'Hara. But uh, yeah, I I just, I, I can't, I have nothing bad to say about this movie. And actually, it's one that I kind of like want to watch again immediately. I really like this movie. I think it's so good. Uh and I also really love it when, like, a non-comedy, like, a director who doesn't strictly do comedy just does a really, really good job doing comedy. Yeah. Not that the, I would call this movie a comedy, but, like, the humor in it is just so good and so smart. And, I, you know, it reminds me of how just completely hilarious uh, Phantom Thread is. And just mm-hmm. it's it's funny in just such a like smart and artistic way. Um, I really appreciate that. I'm giving King a comedy four out of four. Ooh, what do you, what are you giving King of Comedy, Jeremy? You know, Eric, I wonder if this is going to be the only time this happens. But I'm also giving it a four out of four. Uh, I I think this movie is good. As, as good as Raging Bull, which is a weird thing to say out loud, but I also think it's good in a completely different way than Raging Bull is. Like, this is such an interesting movie to come after Raging Bull. And that's sort of like the way I'm coming at it right now is like, not just as like a great film or like a great piece of comedy or a great departure from a director, but like just like how weird it is to make a movie that I would consider to be like the Bible's amount of heaviness like it's such a heavy movie raging Mm. bull it is such a it's almost like a you could use it as like a joke a punchline to like what's the most dramatic movie of all time (laughs) (laughs) it's like raging bull is you know um but and then to go from that to this and it's like the whole scope of cinema in two films back to back like it's you know this movie like you said is very there's a thriller aspect to it it's very unpredictable it's also super funny it's uh very poignant about a different industry altogether it just i don't know it's a it's a really masterful film i'm glad it exists i can't i also can't wait to watch it again i feel like it's unlike raging bull or taxi driver you could watch this twice in one year (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah i think it just works everything about it works and i wish i wish it had more 
clout or more people knew about it, but then maybe it wouldn't be as special. So I don't know. King of comedy, four out of four for me. Oh, yeah, brother. King of comedy. Up next, we are doing... Are we getting a little Nikki? Is that what, is that what we're at It's a little Nikki, I think, yeah. <laughs> let me let me just confirm real quick. But yeah, I think we're getting into... I, I think can't it's Nikki believe time. we're about to watch little Nikki. <laughs> I've waited for this all podcast oh, to yep. watch for little B- Nikki. Big Daddy, little Nikki. We are skipping over Deuce Bigelow, um, so oh, we'll have to yeah, do that fine. on the Patreon. Yeah, we got to do that on the Patreon, but that, we don't need and to do probably that. I, Adam Sandler is he is in Joe Dirt. I didn't realize that. Oh yeah, he's in Joe Dirt. Joe Dirt's good okay. too, man. I like Joe. Yeah, wait, like wait, Joe no, Dirt. he's not Joe in Joe Dirt. Dirt. What do you mean? It says he is in. Uh... Oh, he's an ex- executive producer. Never mind. Okay. Yeah, we're next... not gonna watch all of the films that he he, he produces. Yeah, we're gonna do. Although yeah, I'm li- open to doing a joke. <laughs> <laughs> At some point we will, but uh, Little Nicky is next. Um. Yeah, are we gonna also do redo Punch Trunk Love? Uh, yeah, let's do it. I Why mean, not? Yeah, well, I mean, do you think, Eric? If you don't think I could talk to you about Punch Trunk Love for another hour again, <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> when that's oh man, that is coming up in like four episodes, a couple episodes. Holy cow! Wait, so are we going to be doing Punch Drunk Love and After... No, we're doing After... Hmm. No, it'll be After Hours yeah. next. Okay. Oh, Got I'm it. sorry. It'll be Little Nicky next, then After Hours, then Punch Drunk Love. Which, if people cool. don't know, we did a double-double feature feature where we talked about mall rats and After Hours. But you and I haven't sit, sat down and talked about After Hours, and I think I could do another whole episode oh, yeah. on After Hours. Oh, yeah. Um... Cool. So yeah, stay tuned for our episode on little little Nikki next week. Uh, get you know prepare. Listen to some uh, Power Man Five Thousand in preparation for for that episode. Uh, specifically, that song about worlds colliding. I think it's the <laughs> one using little Nikki. Uh, Jeremy, anything you want to plug before we sign out? No, thank you. Patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Got to sign up before, uh, you know, spots are running, are, are, are going to start running out the closer we get to, uh, what's it called? Monkey Bone Vember. So you got a couple months here, but if you really want to be in on the Monkey Bone Vember uh, festivities, you should probably sign up and just start subscribing now. It's just $5 a month, weekly bonus, ep- well, regular bonus episodes. <laughs> Uh, uh, and, uh, yeah, anyway, Jeremy, thanks for, I guess, co-hosting. <laughs> I've never thanked it, you for co-hosting before on a podcast. <laughs> you know, we both co-host to each other. There's a real host yeah. somewhere else, but we don't know where he is. Norma, I'll see you in my dreams. Mm-hmm.